All episodes of It's Great Business reflect the views and opinions of Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group and its guests and do not reflect the official policy or guidance of employers or government entities. You're listening to It's Great Business, sponsored by Intracoastal Marketing and Strategy Group, where great business equals great people. Welcome to another episode of It's Great Business, and I'm Janice Berg-Levy. Today's guest is Tim Flaherty. He is a business professional who has focused much of his career in sales and business development. Tim has held leadership roles at Verizon, Dimension Data, Avaya, Lucent, and AT&T. Today, he is Global Account Director at NCR. With a career that spans over 40 years, Tim is best known for his focus on relationship building, combining effective communication skills with well-informed business decision-making that yields results. And by the way, that whole relationship piece of it is going to be really interesting. So so really uh, get out that pencil here. Tim, welcome to It's Great Business. Thank you for letting me uh, be a part of this, uh, this program. Our pleasure. So I'd like to get into it really quickly here. So Tim, tell me a little bit about who you are. Obviously, I just uh, shared a bit about your background, but a bit more about what you believe your purpose to be and really what you're passionate about. First of all, um, I have, as you've stated, uh, a fairly long career that has covered almost 42 years now. And in that, what I've believe my purpose has been or is, is to gain and learn something new every single day. Because at the end of the day, we don't know everything. We don't know it all. And what you find as you get older in your career, you find that you know, there are, there's more that you don't know than what you do know. And I think what my purpose is, is to try to help colleagues either by mentoring um, or by coaching or by just being their friend, maybe learn things that we've gained at this portion of our career and life that I wish I had known earlier on in my career. Because earlier on in my career, I was primarily focused on What do I need to do to be successful today? What do I need to do to be successful and set myself up for what's the next role? What's the next opportunity? What's the next hurdle? I had goals that I had set for myself, both financial as well as where I envisioned myself being um, in terms of uh, management level by certain age periods in in my life. And I became so focused on the plan that I sometimes didn't look up to take an opportunity to either smell the roses or just enjoy the view from where I got to. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. And for those that listen to It's Great Business on a regular basis, you know that this is a theme that comes up quite a bit. And it really is interesting based on, let's just compare that experience to where the Gen Zers are today, mm-hmm. which is yes. which is a lot more about enjoy today, smell the roses, and what will be will be. 
So when you think about where you began and what you studied, tell me a little bit about like where you began. How did you get into sales and business development and all these great companies? Well, coming out of college, I had the opportunity to become a um, associate account executive was the title at what was Michigan Bell pre-divestiture. So for those of you listening, you'll start to figure out how old I, I am and where I came into um, well, wait a uh, second. You just confessed the 40 something years. So, so I think people already had the calculator out. Okay. So excuse me. So <laughs> I, I I started out in in what became AT&T and they have a very rigorous program um, on the front end vetting interviewing process to get you in. And at the time, once you got in, you were on a career path that had specific, measurable, tangible goal requirements that you needed to meet. And if you didn't meet them, different than the way things are today, 2023, if you didn't hit these career milestone thresholds, it was termination for employment or of employment. Um, there wasn't a well, you're not going to cut it as a salesperson, so we're going to put you in a role over here. Um, there was a rigorous sales training that you went through. We used to laugh and call it Darth Vader University. For <laughs> anybody that's listening that remembers the AT&T school, um, it looked like Darth Vader's helmet. It was all black glass in Aurora, Colorado. Um, you went uh, for multiple weeks at a time. You wore a suit and tie. You arrived, being on time was five minutes early. You were late if you were at the start of the, the, the program or the class and the door was locked and you had to knock on the door and ask for permission to get in. So in, in 42 years of the business environment and what was deemed acceptable, appropriate behavior, that's what it was like. And when you got the opportunity to be in the room you were like a sponge. If, if, if you got invited to a meeting with higher level sales leaders and you were told you'll sit not at the main table, but you'll sit along the wall and someone needed a coffee, you went and got it. If someone needed something copied, you made two copies, one for them. You kept one, slid it in your briefcase so you could start to figure out what is it that I don't know and what is it that I'm expected to know? And how quickly can I gain that level of insight? Additionally, you sat in meetings. There weren't laptops. There weren't computers. There weren't iPhones or iPads. People walked into a meeting with a white legal pad of paper and a pen. <laughs> and, you oh my needed to, and you needed to know the topics that were going to be discussed. You needed to know the information. You might have copies that you printed to like cheat sheet notes, but you walked in the room prepared and there was no multitasking. You weren't daydreaming looking out the window. You were looking at the person across the table from you and in real time discussion and communicated without being distracted by all the technologies that we've come to know and love today and couldn't live without. 
Well, I, first of all, I was going to ask you the ultimate question, which you 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 kind of answered, which was, and were there women? Because for those of us that are listening, especially those starting out, there is this dialogue going on about you know um, women in the workplace and gender bias, and obviously post Me Too, etc. So, I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot, like percentage wise, just from your memory, like how many women you know, were there versus men, just roughly? It, it was probably an 80-20 rule yeah. when, okay. I, when I first came in, because my, the, the, the hiring class that I was in, there were two women in the class, yeah. and there were 10 people. When you, when you hired in day one, you went to the um, Darth Vader University, and it was a whole orientation. What a far way we've come, right? So for those that are listening to, you know, kind of this description, it probably sounds like a foreign world to you. And I I think things have gotten better, not to say that the part about the discipline um, should be left behind, mm -hmm. but I think that a little bit more of um, a flexibility uh, and also a more willingness to um, be diverse in sure. terms of expectations of people is, is a good thing. So, so let's just talk. So, so you, you're, when you were in school, um, you were an econ major. So, right. so from econ to sales, it's interesting. Okay. Just, just because. I actually, I actually coming out of school, I actually thought I was going to follow a career in banking. Mm -hmm. And I actually interviewed with the FBI. And what, the, and what the FBI told me was, is that they were looking for somebody that had business experience and that if I went and got and went a business route and wanted to come back, we could, we could discuss, you know, further. So oh. I, I could have been, I could have been an FBI agent. Oh, that's exciting. <clears throat> I never knew that about you. So, okay. So now how do you, how do you define success? Okay. You're looking back and obviously you're still on the journey here. We all are. But how do you define success? I think you have to define it in, in a multitude of, of ways. One is how are you measured externally by the organization in which you sit and what are the targets and the goals and expectations that they have of you that you need to achieve? And like I said, early on in my career, at 18 months and then at three years, there were specific targeted milestone events that you needed to, there were certification requirements that you had to hit. So in order to remain at AT&T, a level of success, you hit those targets. But that wasn't enough for me, for how I measured me in my head and it may sound arrogant to some, in my head, I knew I would hit the 18-month target. I would hit the three-year target. I had set goals for myself that when I was 30, I was going to be earning X, and I was going to be at a certain level. And when I was 35 and 40 and, and so on, I set goals for me that were higher than any of the external goals, and I would measure me against me and my attainment. And what did I do well that day? I would assess 
myself as I'm laying in bed trying to go to sleep? What was it that I did right? But more importantly, what was it that I did wrong? What do I need to learn to not do that wrong again? And when I find myself in a scenario where I'm potentially heading into that, how can I course change and direct to avoid repeating the same mistake over and again? And what I will say is at some points, I became focused on my professional and I think sometimes I didn't have that balance to, you know, my wife, Denise, and to my kids, because I was, the assumption was, I'll take care of us financially. I'll make sure there's a roof over our head that you can go to, you know, a private school, that all of these requirements for what was or is a good life is taken care of you focus on the kids. And then in that Venn diagram, when the overlap occurs, sometimes the Venn diagram overlap was a sliver of two circles and it needed to be more. And, and you know, if I could do something over again, maybe I would have focused with the same level of intensity on being in the moment for them. Well, yeah, because we'll go right to this, your vision of success changing over the years. And I think what what they always say, hindsight is 2020. Many, many people um, early, early on, you know, 30 year careers, 40 year careers, et cetera, um, that that we've talked to talk about the fact, myself included, that it was about, hey, I needed the money. I needed to pay off my loans. I needed to have a place to live. I needed to support the family, whatever those things were. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's easy to say now that, you know, you've got some of that money that you can start to look at it from a bigger picture, from a, Correct. Um, from a, from a giving back, whether that's within the workplace and supporting other people. Um, so that, that is a common theme. And I think, you know, giving any advice to to those like, you know, our kids or others that are starting out, what's the advice that, you know, now that we look back on that, how, how do you do that? First of all, you need to like what you do. Um, some might say you need to love what you do, but let's just stick with with like. Recognize that it is called work. It's not called go and have fun and and you're going to laugh and giggle and and have a whole bunch of great friends you you ultimately do but at the end of the day it's work and you need to be committed to it and when i say you need to like it you need to like it from the standpoint that when you wake up in the morning at o dark hundred that when your feet hit the floor you're not wincing and 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 growling i hate this my life is terrible because if it is then you're not doing for you for the job and you're not doing for the company you're working for and and ultimately at the end of the day you're miserable and you don't like what you're doing regardless of what they're paying you 
and your health will suffer and as your, well. Exactly. And all the other pieces. So Correct. yeah. So so you 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 look at it from the standpoint of does this make me happy? Can I do this? Is this the type of environment that I can operate within and thrive within? Because if it's a you know hostile work environment or whatever you want it to negatively be, you can always find a reason why right. you don't want to get up to go to work today. Yeah, exactly. So, so just pivoting here, is there anything you would have done differently in your life's journey? And I know you mentioned more family time, obviously, in your Venn diagram. But when you look at oh, the, the big picture, anything else you would have done differently? Yeah, yes. Probably given myself an opportunity to enjoy what I had achieved. As I hit different milestones, as I hit different achievements, I always looked at it as I set the goal. I knew I was going to get there. So what's the new goal? Yeah. So we're going to move into the section we call fun facts. So tell me who's the person you admire the most. I think it was my dad. He set the groundwork and the foundation, both, you know, educationally, as well as spiritually and emotionally on what was going to be expected of you. As the oldest of five, four of us were in a row. My dad traveled a lot. He was an executive for General Motors. And he started traveling when I was in the second grade. And every Monday morning when we took him to the airport, his last statement to me was, watch out for your mom, keep an eye on your two sisters, and keep your brothers in line. And in the second grade, what would I have been? Eight, nine? And, and that's the foundation from which all the rest. And you, you made a commitment. You kept your commitment. You were a person of integrity, and that's what he was. So for me, it was him. Nice, nice favorite book? I actually have two. The first I got when I was in my late 20s, it was The IBM Way by Buck Rogers. It was a tell-all from the former CEO about the history of IBM. It was a great, interesting, because at the time, a number of executives from IBM had left and come to AT&T. And you could see in the path of what IBM created and the executives that came over, what it was we, AT&T at the time, were trying to be. So when Charlie Brown was the CEO of AT&T and all of the, what I talked about, the discipline, you know, doors were locked. This is how you're going to dress. This is how you're going to behave. This is how we're going to sell. This is what you're expected to know. There's no crutch. You know, you're the account rep. I read that book and it was kind of like, huh, I have the decoder ring for what we're going to do here at AT AT&T. It was, it was a, for me, an eye-opening experience as a business read Mm -hmm. in my Mm -hmm. late twenties, a friend had given it to me. I read it and it was great. The other book that I have read um, was Eric Clapton's autobiography. I love music. I love Eric Clapton. And when you, when you read his book, you understand 
the songs that he wrote and the music that he's created, where it comes from and what it's about. Um, right. So for me, that was a personal. Yeah, you know, but people love that book tips. They absolutely love them because everybody's always looking for it. So that's great. And favorite food? Um, I really like a grilled tomahawk steak. And for those oh. of you that don't know what a tomahawk steak <laughs> is, it's probably a four-inch cut ribeye with an 18-inch bone on it. it. It takes a little bit of skill to learn how to throw it on the grill and cook it up right. But when done correctly, it's it's kind of like Fred Flintstone, you know, with the with the ribs on the car and the car tips over. It's a really large cut of meat, but it's absolutely phenomenal. My wife and I like to grill them in the summer. It usually is about three dinners worth of, of food to, to eat, but it takes about 45 minutes to cook it. So with a glass of wine and sitting outside and enjoying some fresh air, it's a it's a great way to live. I think I know where I'm going to be this summer. I'm already inviting myself. Okay. So, <laughs> so Tim, this has been so fun. And it's always great uh, catching up with, with people that I've known for many, many years. <laughs> Notice how I clear my throat there. Um, so how can listeners uh, find you, reach out to you? What's the best way? Probably just email. My email address is T, like Tim, P like Patrick, Flaherty, F-L-A-H-E-R-T-Y-5-7 at yahoo.com. Fantastic. And, you know, if anybody's listening and you're curious about any of the companies that Tim has uh, had a career at, um, certainly um, you're, you're welcome to reach out to him and uh, ask any questions. So once again, thank you, everyone. And thank you, Tim, for your time today. And we appreciate you all listening to It's Great Business. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Also, check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And visit us on the web at intracoastalmarketingstrategy.com.